Hey guys, Shane here at the People First Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to episode four. And today we have Cuzon, and he is somebody I've been wanting to talk to for a long time. Ooh. We, uh, we at the podcast, we, mostly me, at the People First Podcast, we want to talk to people who are thought leaders in the community, who are well-respected, who have been through some troubles in life, but have also fought their way back tooth and nail. From all of that adversity, they've created life for themselves. They've created something worth talking about. And that's why I'm so excited to have Q. There's so much to Q that I don't even think we're going to be able to touch the surface in one hour, but we're going to do our absolute best. So without me ruining Q's intro, I'm going to turn it over to him. And Q, just fill us in. Who are you? Give us that quick elevator pitch of who you are and what you're about. Yeah, sweet. Well, thanks, Shane. Firstly, thanks for having me on the podcast, man. Welcome. Pumped to be here. But um, yeah, so my name's Cuzon McCarthy. Um, I am 38, believe it or not. Born in 82. He looks like a 20-year-old. I do, yeah. I get that all the time. But uh, 38, I've got a beautiful wife. Been married for 14 years as of last Wednesday. Congratulations. Whoop, whoop. In uh, quarantine too. That's it, man. So we had a beautiful night out in the lounge. Couldn't go nowhere. And, uh, but we also got four kids, four beautiful kids. We've got um, one who's in high school. She is 13. Then we've got an eight-year-old who's in year two. And then the twins who are in preschool at the moment. So we've got a big family. Uh, I love the family. And, um, yeah, man, it's awesome. Beautiful, buddy. And so what do you do for work? Well, for work, uh, I'm a youth leader. Oh, actually, sorry, I'm a youth worker by trade. I've been a youth worker for, for a long time. And here in Australia, I find myself uh, for the past six years uh, working in chaplaincy, so school chaplaincy in particular. So um, that's going into schools and being part of the wellbeing team there. You know, just looking at the social and emotional side of, of students rather than the academic. And I've um, been doing that for six years. I've, I've seen um, a lot of um, heartbreaking things, um, which you probably could imagine. I don't know you, Shane, can relate to a lot of that in your upbringing. Um, but I also see a lot of um, you know awesome testimonies of of, of young people, you know, reaching their goals or, or coming through on the other side. Um, so that's what I do for work. Um, what got you into that? What, did, what inspired you to sort of do, to do youth work? Like, well, that's a long story as well, man. And I think um, that goes back to, to my youth days. And, um, you know, briefly, I guess like all of us, you know, when we're young, we run amok and, and uh, we think we're invincible and we think we can get away with anything. Um, and it was actually a particular person who came alongside me and showed me a different way to go, a different way to uh, to live, and um, and through it, man, I, I just you know, obviously my life has changed. And from that point, uh, from that one person who got alongside me, who journeyed with me, um, showed me the right way to go. Um, it's something that I've always wanted to give back to to young people and do for young people as well. So just to show them that there's a better way. Um, that no matter what they're facing, um, there is a way through it. That there are people that are there for them, that can support them, and that are cheering them on. Oh, how cool, like a, a story of giving back. I mean, if only we could all take what, you know, what we've got and give back in some way, I think the world would be a much better place. So you know, not from me to everyone you've probably touched, but, you know, I want to thank you for that because it's, it's refreshing to hear that people out there actually still do that because sometimes you can get lost in this world and think, you know, is, is there any good out there? Is there anyone out there looking out for me without some sort of like, you know, expectation or return? Mm. Is it just someone genuine? And I think that's you. I think that's... From what I gather, I think you're that genuine dude. So it's really cool that you're giving back. Thanks, bro. Now, I wanted to go over a few things, Q. Now, remember, this podcast is about 
talking about some of the things that you've gone through. Now, it's up to you how deep we go. Now, I want to start us off in the, in the first five minutes of this podcast and think, you know, what is it that if you could think back over the last 30-odd years, right, because, you know, there's a few years where we're actually completely amazing and, you know, babies. 38 years, I'll give you two years. So the last 36, 37 years, all right? <laughs> yep. What would you say has been your biggest challenge? Now, this might be a few things, or it might be interweaved, right? Not, and I always find that challenges aren't just singular. There's, there's probably a list of things that led me to that biggest challenge, right? And I want to talk about those things. So from you, what would you think? If you're just going to write it down off the top of your head, what would you say was your biggest challenge? Yeah, for sure. And, um, well, for, for us, there's been obviously many challenges. You know, we all go through seasons that are tough, but... One particular challenge that uh, me and my wife went through, which was probably the, our hugest battle that we've ever come across, was um, uh, the birth of our twins. So uh, a lot of people who know me and are close to me know the story, um, but for the sake of those who are listening, I'll just share a little bit about it. So obviously, um, you know, we got the news that um, we're going to have twins, which was exciting, and that's wow. all good. And uh, I remember we were in uh, the Cook Islands for my brother. He lives in the Cook Islands for his wedding. And uh, we were along, I don't know, 15 weeks or whatever into the pregnancy and, and we had that first scan. And anyway, we were in the Cook Islands and we kept getting this miss, oh, my wife kept getting this missed call on her phone because uh, she got the scan just before we left and she kept getting a missed call on the phone. So anyway, we didn't want to pick it up because you have to pay for it and you know, we weren't keen on paying for that. <laughs> but anyway, um, we finally picked it up and it was, it was the, the actual doctors and they were saying, hey, look, um, can you come in? And we're like, oh, no, we can't come in wherever overseas at the moment. And it's like, oh, okay, um, we really need to uh, sit down and discuss something with you. And we're like, oh, can you just tell us now? And they said, no, we can't do this over the phone. It has to be in person. And it's almost worse, right? Yeah, and can I tell then, you, because oh. we still had another week ago, and it just killed us. Yeah. Like we knew from the sound of the doctor something was not right. Eh? And it just, just killed us that we they couldn't tell us over the phone. So the whole rest of the week, man, it was just we just wanted to get back and just kind of check in with the doctors, you know, what's going on. Anyway, we... We get back and he shows us the results of the scan and, and things went right. I um, can't remember what it was, but everything was out of whack and it just looked like it wasn't going to be a, a, a good um, a good pregnancy or, or whatnot. So anyway, we'll, we'll cut we'll cut deep. Um, and they told us to go to a specialist and we did and went to a specialist and um, he said, look, they're inconclusive. We're, we're going to do another test, but it's going to cost uh, this much for this special test that they do. It's an early test, but it, it'll find out exactly what's going on. But it'll also tell you the sex of the baby, like, off the bat. Like, this is, like, 17 weeks in or whatnot. Yeah. It's a real, like, intense test. Anyway, so we were like, okay, we've got to get that money. We just come back from holidays and we've got no money. And um, true story, this is a true story. So everyone knows Justin, the weirdo that used to come here. <laughs> he's um, in Queensland now. He's one of my he's one of my closest mates, so I can say that. But um, we were sitting in church one time. And uh, after church, he comes up to me and he goes, um, this was after we met with the doctor and the doctor told us how much it was going to be. And this is a true story. You can ask Justin this too. Anyway, he comes up to me after after the service and goes, hey, Q. And I was like, yo. And you know how he, th he thinks he's an islander. He's like, hey, hey, oos. <laughs> but anyway, um, he says to me, um, give me your bank details. And I said, nah, nah. Well, why do you want my bank details? And he goes, nah, man. Like, I was sitting in church and I feel like I need to give you some money. And remember, he has, no, does, no, not, does not know anything about what the wow. specialist said and i was like no nah, no nah, it's cool man and anyway i said i'm not giving you my bank details man it's cool and he goes oh, i'm gonna find out i'm gonna find your bank t details anyway 
And anyway, he finds it. <laughs> and he puts some money in the bank. And here's the craziest thing. So mm, the, the amount that he put in the bank, no one told him nothing, was the amount that was for the... Um, no way. Yeah, yeah, legit. Oh. That's Justin. But oh, um, yeah. yeah, so we paid for that specialist test. And, and the doctor said, hey, it's going to be awesome. Everything's going to be good. And at least one of them is going to be a boy. So we're super pumped. And we thought things were back on track. But then at 26 weeks, my wife starts getting these pains and she feels like her waters have broken. I'm like, that's not right. It's 26 weeks. Wow. That's, three, that's three months before it should be due. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, we went to Blacktown and the doctor said, nah, the babies are coming today. And I remember thinking, that's, they can't come today. That's not right. They're not, you know, it's just not that right time. And anyway, Blacktown doesn't have the specialists or the profession professionals to to deliver preemies so they had to bring in a specialist team from different hospitals because i couldn't move her and um i remember man the, do- the doctor came when they took her into theater because they're going to pull the babies out they had to not through they had to do a cesarean and i remember the doctor because doctors are blunt as you know mm. just gave it straight cold hard facts hey there's a huge chance these babies are not going to make it just letting you know and I was devastated. I was motivating. Very yeah, motivating. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, thanks, Dr. Positive. That's awesome. <laughs> and uh, anyway, look, um, yeah, the, they, they pulled the babies out. And I just remember the, this nurse runs out and she goes, oh, your baby's coming past now. I remember we have twins. And they come past on these machines and they had like every cord, every monitor, everything that you could think of plugged into them. And, um, oh, man. Yeah. Hard times. Yeah, it was. Take your time then. But um, no, they, they rolled them past and they go into intensive care and then they have to bring another unit because, um, like I said, Blacktown doesn't have the, the facilities so they had to be transferred to Randwick National Women's and they had to get a specialist team which brings these specialist buggies that the babies don't move. Like no matter how much the car moves around or jiggles around, the, the babies don't move. Wow. Because um, they're so precious and so tiny. Yeah. And anyway, that team came and they took the babies one by one um, and and Mel got to see them for maybe less than a minute and then they shot them off to Randwick and that's where they were. They stayed at Randwick for did three get, months. Did you get to go with them or they had to no. go on their own? They went on their own. But I went to the hospital that night and um, and Rand, Randwick was where they would stay for the next three months. Wow. And, and pretty much two and a half months in intensive care and two operations, keep them alive. <sighs> Wow. You know, something we have in common, I was three months preemie. I was doing Oof. Yeah, my mum had me at about 26, 27 weeks as well. So it's, uh, I think there's some fight in those kids. I'm sure you'll... Uh, oh man, there is. Trust me, there is. I mean, to be able to overcome that start on, on day one, that's going to lead them to big things, I mm. think. You know? No, 100%. 100%. I want to I go... A little bit deeper on um, on that, just because I find it so interesting being a premier baby as well, and, and having my own child now, and you know, beautiful Quinn, she's three. Ooh. And one of the hardest things for me, uh, just not to talk about me for too long, but was standing in that cold, sterile room, looking at how they tried to make it appealing with stickers and things, because they had rushed Chloe in for a C-section, so we we went full term to the day. But um, Quinn got stuck, her head got stuck and we, we couldn't get her out and the heart rate's changed and, you know, emergency, boom. They rush you down and they're like, all right, we've got we to pull the baby out and here's the thing, if, uh, 
if we have to choose, mm. we're going to choose the baby over your wife. Yeah, it's tough. And we might lose both. I mean, that's the question you're faced with. Like, mm. I mean, that's th- if you talk about challenges in life, I mean, that's a big one. It's mm. definitely up there. And so what I want to talk about for you is that initial period when you know they, they had the babies out, they put them in these special buggies and they shipped them off. You were left with your wife, right? I'm assuming you were there with her right after that. No babies. You know, you've done everything you should do. The, the, the process, so to speak, has been right. You, you know, you, she got pregnant. She went through 26 weeks, emergency. Okay, we're doing everything we need to do. We've got the babies out. How did you feel at that moment when you were left with your wife and it's just you two? What, what was the emotion? Um, I just felt numb, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I felt helpless. And I think that's probably, as a father, that's mm. your biggest fear, that you can't, this is something that, you know, dads are meant to fix everything. Mm. You know, that's what dads do, but can fix this. And that was tough to swallow. You know? Man, and how did your wife feel? I mean, she got to sit in for 30 seconds. The most precious time is that bonding session that they have as soon as the baby's born and boom, gone. I think seconds. initially she was like just on the clouds because she was on the drugs. <laughs> so she was just in la-la land, but... When she came around, obviously it was um, yeah, it was tough, and and uh, she stayed at Blacktown um, for for a couple of days, obviously from the surgery they didn't move, and then finally they moved over to Randwick. Um, but yeah, for her that was um, yeah, there was a lot of uh, a lot of tears. Man, I couldn't imagine how many tears there'd be tears upon tears. Now in that three month period that those um, your precious babies were over there hanging out at Ramwick, waiting for you to come and see him every day. Who was there to help you? Who did you look to for support? I mean, <clears throat> you would have felt so emotionally, physically, and mentally fatigued in this moment. Your wife, the same. I know what it's like watching Chloe come back after giving birth. It is it is a massive ordeal. And who did you look to? I mean, who was there someone there? Was there, was there a person? You know, Justin helped you get the the money to get the test to know that everything's going to be okay, but then, boom, blindsided by this 26-week early pregnancy as well. I mean, far out. Who did you turn to next? Yeah, man, um, look, we had a great network of support, eh? and I'm so thankful still to this day of everyone who got alongside of us. Um, obviously, you know, being in church, the, the church community, and it's something that you know well too, just community in itself. We have a great community here at CrossFit HF. Um, and who was with us was the church community when that time came round. And um, but all of my close friends, um, most people were up there in the hospital every day with us, like every day. So for my wife, look, we try to keep our same routines. And my wife would go there in the morning and come back, and then I'll jump in with her and we'll go there at night. And we had friends to look after our older girls. Um, and e- each week it was like three hundred dollars worth of tolls. To go because at the time we were living in Quakers Hill, um, to go to Randwick twice a day, and then and then to keep people out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and then on top of that, all the gas and and what happened was our, you know, the church community gave us our friends gave us thousand dollars worth of um, petrol vouchers. They paid for tolls. They bought food around for our young kids because we were never Mm. home in the evening. It's amazing how far something like that can go. And if I I was to tell people listening out there, if you have someone that's struggling with anything, just make them a meal. If you don't know what to do or what to say. 100%. My God, when we were going through the stuff with Queen in regards to her upbringing with reflux and, you know, that first, you know, postnatal depression that Chloe suffered when um, when we brought Quinn home, 
we weren't cooking. We weren't looking after ourselves at all. Mm. And so if you're going through emotional tor- uh, torment or you're stressed out or your anxiety is high, a simple frittata, that eight eggs, you know, you bake that up, you send it to someone. I know that seems so trivial and so small, but that small gesture, and it doesn't even have to be financial, that small gesture makes the biggest difference in someone's day. When you can sit back and go, you know what, I, have to, I've, I don't have an energy to have a shower. Mm. And then someone brings knocks on your door and says, hey, I just thought I'd bring you some food. I did some shopping for you. Here's some necessities. My God, that must have, yeah. That's, that's right. It's one less thing to think about. And, you know, there was so much things racing in our head and it just took took that burden away. Like, we didn't have to think about that. We didn't have to think about this. All we needed to focus on was our babies and them getting well and them getting better. And that allowed us to do that. Yeah, wow. What a what a huge challenge. Thanks so much for sharing that, Q. Like, Awesome, it is. I know it's raw still, right? How old are the twins now, did you say? They are going to be five in July. Five five years ago this happened, right? And it's still fresh, right? Still fresh, Cuts. man. And um, every time I look at them, I'm like, man, you miracle babies. Obviously, not Tegan. Not Tegan, Tegan. Um, she's named after my best friend, uh, our, one of our best friends who passed away from cancer. Oh. Um, she, uh, she had some major operations to keep her um, alive. And Zainan, who's the boy twin, so it's a boy-girl twin, Zane and he just was lazy and just didn't want to breathe on his own for, for a long time. Um, but they've come through and they're healthy. They're on track to where they should be. So it's a, it's a beautiful thing, Shane. It's awesome, man. You know, it's funny because, you know, the relation, that Chloe's a triplet as well. So, you know, I was a preemie baby and Chloe, she's a triplet. She's one of three. She has two brothers. Oh, wow. Yeah, so she's a, she's a girl baby and she has the, tri- the triplet, uh, the two twi- uh, twin brothers as well. So obviously triplets. But, um, yeah, that's pretty cool. There's so many levels of connection there. I like that. Yeah. Now, Q, moving forward, I mean, um, you know, they're beautiful, healthy babies. And they're five. They're kicking it. And, uh, and they're going to grow up to be <laughs> your biggest test and your greatest joy. <laughs> um, how did you let go of that trauma? Because when we experience things, right, it cuts us. We develop a scar. And that scar can stay quite visible, uh, either just to us or to the world. It depends on how we carry it. How did you get back on track after that? Because I can imagine that was a three-month period. You know, did you work during that period of time? Um, what were we doing for work at that time? Yeah, yeah. I think um, so. During that time, during that three months, um, especially the first two months where things were quite intense, um, we made the decision um, to keep routine. Like it was real important for us to to um, still spend time with our older kids and, and give them our time. So be present, like literally be present with them. Mm. Um, it was still important for us to show up to work or for me to go to work. It was still important for me to, to um, carry my responsibilities as a youth leader and youth on a Friday night. Yep. So I'll be there on a Friday night. Um, all these things we try to keep in place. So that made the transition easier when when things got to where they should be. Um, but in saying that, there were... so. One of the things is, is obviously it's hard to sleep when you when you when you're thinking about you know you're not home with your kids they're somewhere else um, and the one thing that I remember that 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 um, just hung with me for age and it took me so long to get out of my head was the the noise of so there's the, the CPAP machines or the machines or the monitors that are on the babies and when you're in level one like all the babies have got one but there'll be times where the the babies don't breathe. Because they forget they're too young, I'm sure you yeah. probably would have been doing the same. Yeah, I was in that. I've got photos of me in the little humidity cribs, or whatever they're called, and yeah, just 
Come so on. when when they don't breathe, then the red light goes off. It just, it just starts flashing, and there's a real um, uh, a noise that you can hear with it. And that plagued me, that noise. I could always hear it, like that noise. Because what the doctors do is they come and they just wait. They wait for the baby to kick themselves out of it. Mm. And if they don't, then they put their hands in and give the baby a nudge to remind them, hey, you need to start breathing. Jesus. And it was such a t- tough thing because these monitors will always go off. And when they go off, you just hold your breath and just like, yeah, come on, come on. And what would seem maybe only a 10-second period would seem like a, a 30 minute period you're like there's no way that was too long it was literally four seconds that passed but in your world it stops and slows down right it was like forever and that was probably the hardest thing for me to um uh just to get rid of like it just keep just keep hanging around me for for a long time and um and and i guess just over time that that time that process of just you know time heals all things i think it finally i'm obviously seeing my kids um healthier as they are today it's not with me anymore, which is awesome. Oh, man. It's the noises and the smells that stick around the longest. Oh, know? and the smells, 100%. There's a, there's a noise in my mind, in my childhood, there's a noise of keys, like those keys. I always know that I'd get anxious. I'd go on somewhere, my mum's leaving, someone's you know, someone's walking out the door, and that instant, you know, that, that noise of just keys jingling got me. It's That's funny. It. A smell of cut grass right on a Saturday morning was, was, was reminiscent of at least I get a break. You know, that smell of cut grass was like, it's funny, like the things that you hang on to that helps with trauma. Because you would see it too in your work. I mean, you're going you're gonna to work with kids who have gone through some trauma. Oh, man. Yep. I mean, they're going to they have, have triggers and they're going to have things like that. And have you, do you, is there someone that stands out? You don't have to mention any names, but in the line of work that you've done, is there anyone that stands out you've just gone, boom, I can't ever forget that because that hit me? Yeah, look, I, I, I mean, do. Apart from every child probably because you're a compassionate dude, but... There's always that one, right? There's an outlier. I've got, I've, I've definitely got one kid um, who really had a soft spot in my heart. Um, I, I, I worked with this kid for for many years, and he was just a, he couldn't handle the classroom, and and I understand that school's not for everyone. But um, so his story was that um, he's in out of home care, so that means he his parents are either in jail or or uh, overdosed and dead or, or whatnot. So he just gets um, moved from foster home to foster home. And um, anyway, one of the last years I was with him, the foster home care that he was with, they didn't want him, but they wanted his brother. So what was happening, just to give you a little context, is that they were going to separate him. Mm. So the family didn't want him because he was too much. He was put in the too hard basket, and they were going to ship him on, but keep the brother. And and the only thing that those two boys had was each other. No, they weren't going to do that. Yeah, and they did. So... um. Um, but anyway, I've worked with this kid and, and just 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 your normal, just like bad mouth, will just swear at a teacher, will just throw fists um, any chance he gets. Um, and anyway, um, look, uh, one, one thing I remember about him is that he always, we always chat and we just debrief and see how things are going. And um, he always asked me, like, what, what, why, why are you so kind? Like, why, why do you always want to hang out with me? And legit, my answer was that, you know, this is this is what like, I want to actually be with you. Like I want to actually hang out with you. You know I believe in you. I believe that you can, uh, that you got a, a future ahead of you. And he always used to comment on my watches. Like I said, hey, I love your watch, man. I'm gonna get one of those one day. And I knew there's no way that he can get it because you know he just came with the the bare mm. the bare minimum when he came to school. And um, but any time every time he'll comment on my watches. And I remember on the last day of school, year six. There's many other like, so they had a father Sunday at school and he didn't have a father. And he asked me to be his father for oh, that day. Wow, that would have made you feel just 
that was that was a that was a heart tugging on the heart, man. And anyway, we've got all these fathers in there with their with their sons and their daughters. And here I am sitting with um the young boy, and he's had the time of his life. Um, but anyway, on the last day of um of year six, so he's going off to high school. I'll, I'll never see him again. Um, everyone gets Christmas cards and our little um candy sticks. And anyway, he's there and he he doesn't get one. Um. You know, he's not obviously not one of the kids that people want to hang out with, and he's pretty cut. Um, and I just, for whatever reason, I had a brand new G-Shock on. So my friend who lives in the States was visiting, and he gave me his G-Shock. It was brand new, and for whatever reason that day, I put it on. And I thought to myself, I probably shouldn't put it on later on. But I just felt in my heart, I was like, you know what, on this last day, he hasn't got anything. I'm going to give him my watch. Wow. So I took off my G-Shock, and I gave it to him. And um, sorry, before that... Um, one of our teachers tried to give him a hug and he just brushed it off and walked away. And we've been working with him for a long time. So, was, And anyway, I took off my watch and I, I gave it to him. I said, hey, this is for you. And he looked at me, didn't say anything, just looked at me for a very long time and then just walked away. He didn't say anything. I don't think he know, knew how to accept the gift, mm. but he took it. And um, anyway, he was running around and he was showing people, oh, I've got a watch, I've got a watch. And he went, that's awesome. And then he came back to me and um, he said to me, thank you. And that's the first time like he's ever said thank you. Wow. And I said, come here. I said, man, I've given you that, and it felt good. And I said, see that teacher over there? I said, can you go give her a hug, man, because she's worked so hard for you these past three years. And sh- he went over there and gave her a hug out of the blue, and she just teared up, eh, right there. Wow. But anyway, I'll, I'll never forget that kid. And he's actually come into school to see me a few times, um, which is awesome, but... Yeah, so many stories. I can I can tell you story after story about man. As you said, touch the iceberg on the things that you've talked done and dealt with, and like I mean, I know that that situation will of course stay with him for his entire life. That will change so much about his life. He still may be exposed to negativity. He still may be exposed to people in his life who might lead him astray. But when he goes to sleep at night, he remembers you. You would hope so, yeah. Yeah, he would. 100%. There are, you know, my, my parents went in jail, right? They, they went in jail. But some people may or may not know that they were heavy drug users, right? Um, completely addicted. There was not one day that I remember living at home without being exposed to some form of drug, um, the hardest of the drugs, and then it would taper off for a little while and be the, the you know, the, the socially acceptable drugs. Um, alcohol constant and I think they gave it up for a few years but there's still drugs in other forms all around us and there were people like that at teachers there were two teachers in my primary school um, and he was just a, an average year six teacher he did the year six and year five composite classes and some of the things that he would teach me without me even realizing they were lessons come to me now as a 33 year old yeah wow and I and I had no reason he had no reason to teach me you know you were working with this kid you're making him who he is now and then in high school, I had the same exposure to one teacher who had no idea, but being hard on me is what I needed. And I wasn't a bad kid. I wasn't out there fighting and, and doing all sorts of bad stuff. I mean, like every other child is doing what we're all doing. But at the same time, those little lessons from those teachers lasted, and they're still lasting. I'm 33. I'm, I'm using their lessons, you know, um, living up to their expectations. They had of me in class and they weren't dropping the ball. They weren't just looking at me as another student passing through. They were looking at me as a person. And that is what made all the difference. And because you gave him that human right to feel loved, to feel connected, to feel wanted, you could have saved his life. 
Yeah. I mean, you do that all the time. That's your job, right? Mm. But uh, but especially on that level. So that's pretty cool, man. Yeah, I think you hit it on the head, man. Everyone is searching for belonging. That's what that's what everyone is searching for. Just a sense of belonging. And if we can create community, then they feel like they belong to something. Then it goes a long way. And I think it, like you said, it only takes one person just to say one word, mm. just to go against the grain and say you're awesome, or you can do this. Mm-hmm. Or I'm with you. And that's the one thing that will stick with them forever, for sure. It's amazing what the power of words can do for a person. Now, speaking of these kids you've helped, Q, you said to me at the start of this podcast that you were, you're paying it forward. So that implies to me that you could relate very well to these kids. Uh, you can relate very well. You do relate very well. Tell me about your childhood. I want to know a little bit about it if you care to share. Yeah, sure. So um, I grew up, born and raised in South Auckland. In, um, that sounds like the start of um, a Scribe song. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it, it is actually. I know, it's exactly like Even this. though Scribe is from Canterbury, which is in South, but the remix <laughs> was from the boys from uh, South Auckland. There you go. And anyway, if you've seen the movie Once Warriors, that was all filmed in South Auckland. Jake um, the Snake. Yeah, that's it. But uh, yeah, I grew up there, and, and obviously it gets a bad rep, but um, you know, uh, so did Western Sydney, but when I moved over here, I was like, oh, this is awesome. It's all good. Um, but growing up, obviously, I think, um, you know, influence is, is, is a big um, is a big thing when you're a young person, um, being influenced by, you know, your older, your older um, uh, companions, um, mum and dad. There's, there's a few pivotal moments in my life where, where um, decisions were made which reflect on where I am today. Um, and one of them was even before I was born, and it was the decision that my father made. So my dad, um, him and the brothers, they um, uh, started one of, well, one of the biggest, biggest big gangs in, obviously in New Zealand. Uh, my dad and his uncle were one of the founders of one of the chapters and, um, and whatnot. But he made a decision uh, when he married my mother, because um, domestic violence is huge in New Zealand, he made a decision that he would never hit my mother. And if we, if they had kids, he would never hit our kids. Um, and he stuck true to that. Yeah. He did that, and he removed himself out of, out of that uh, that gang life. And I believe that decision that my dad made um, plays a big part on where I am today. Um, although I still wanted to dabble down that gang life as a young as a as a youngster, uh, got into a little bit of mischief, not as much as my older brother. Sorry, bro, um, but. Um, I think that decision, uh, that generational decision from my father um, put me in good stead for where I am today. Wow. So the, the decision before you were even born... Before I was even born. ...has almost defined a specific path for you. I mean, how was your, how was your dad to know? But he, luckily he made a, a decision to do that so that it, it impacted you. It's kind of funny. I remember an ad um, they used to play here in Australia. And it was... Um, I think he yells out to his son, oh, you know... Oi, Q, get your dad a beer, right? <laughs> he runs off, grabs his dad a beer, puts it back. Dad has a couple of beers on this ad, and then you see the domestic violence. You know, sort of, you can see the shadows, and you, it's implied in this ad that he, you know, he sort of beats his wife. And and as wrong as that is, you see in this ad this child learning and listening and absorbing, and then it and it shows his child quickly mm-hmm. in this one minute ad growing up and becoming the exact spinning image of their dad and. I mean, there's a lot of help out there um, for people who are, if you're listening to this and you are suffering uh, in an environment that is not good for you, make sure you, you 
Google that and have a look around for, for ways out because there are people, you know, that will yeah, help you and there, are, and there are people who will do everything to get you out of that environment. So just quickly touch on that. But this ad had that and it had this generational thing, right? And, and so what you are viewing as a child, your parents do is leading a, a quality, or not for lack of a better word, quality, but quality example that you see at the time for what you should bring yourself up to that standard. The fact that your dad didn't do that to your mum, the fact that your dad decided not to hit you guys as kids has left that mark on you, which then you will then play on. We were talking before we did the podcast, uh, before we hit record, about how it does take strong kids to, to lead a different path. Because um, sometimes our parents are they're either examples of what not to do mm-hmm. or they teach us lessons yes. about life. Um, I choose to believe that my mum and dad were examples. So they chose that life. So they didn't do what your dad did, so to speak. They still, you know, there was a lot of domestic violence in my house um, between mum and dad. Mostly my mum actually being extremely abusive to my, my, my stepdad, my dad. Um, there's a long generational story, my stepdad, my dad. Um, and so it was the reverse. Like you would assume that, oh, oh you changed poor mum. But really, you know, my mum was just as abusive to him. So it was one of these things that was full on. Crazy. And... They were examples for me. You know, they were, they were people that would sit there and show me kind of this side of life and what I didn't want. I didn't want to, I didn't want to have an environment or relationship like that. I didn't want to um, become dependent on drugs. You know, what changed you though? Because yes, your dad made those decisions that led you to at least the positive path with aggression and violence. But it still led you to an environment that was not so great. What do you think What do you think happened? Yeah. I, th- I mean, look, the, maybe your friends? I definitely, that, exactly. I definitely grew up, um, the home environment that I grew up was awesome. I've got to say, mum and dad worked their ass off for me and my brother. Um, but um, look, just, just the influence, and I, I don't know how back then how we got influenced so easily because the kids these days have so much things to look at and be influenced by uh, all the gadgets that we have and whatnot, but we didn't have really have that back in the day. But um, now just this whole um, uh, just getting around friends and just wanting to be famous—that was our our biggest thing. Wanted to be famous, so one of the things that we did with our crew is graffiti. So we would tag on walls to get famous, um, you know, and and whatever that looked like. If it was, you know, uh, fighting over what wall or street, um, then so be it. But um, but like you said, look, even though I grew up with a good environment and mum and dad tried to set that good standard, um, I still had to make a decision for myself on where my life was going. Mm. And um, mum and dad did their part, um, but there was my part to play as well, to take um, responsibility for my own life. And then came along some other friends, some other people who got alongside me, as well as my, my good mates that I still have today who were going on that wrong angle. Um, some I had some other mates come in and influence me in a different direction, which again is probably a pivotal part of my life. The decision that my dad made, and then the decision um, that some of the friends helped me with or helped me to make, and that was um, uh, putting me into the church, which is crazy because I had didn't want nothing to do with that. Mm, how that old were you at this lifestyle. point? I was actually nineteen. Yeah, and as a 19-year-old, you feel like you kind of know it all, right? Like, what do, what, what do I need the church for? What do I need a commu- What do I need people for? I'm, I'm myself. People have let you down in the past, you know? So you start to have this view of the world that might not be true. 
So, yeah, yeah I mean, they, they took you in and what did they suggested? Did they, how did they, what changed your mind? You know, you had a belief about church and yeah, know, was, and then it changed. What happened? I was just standoffish about church. Uh, you know, it was boring. It didn't fit my lifestyle. Like I, I was 100 miles an hour, you know, going out, racing cars. That By that stage, we, we were heavily in, into street racing. Um, it just wasn't really my lifestyle. But I, ha- I had a cousin. It's f- funny enough, the cousin who I used to go out many nights with and tag on the streets, um, he kept asking me, oh, you need to come to church. I was like, bro, get, get out of here, man. Don't even... Talk to me about church. It's almost but the it, complete opposite to where you were. Yeah, that's right. He just Literally. Keep, keep asking me. Keep asking me. Anyway, he moved, um, after a long time, he moved to the Cook Islands where my brother is now. He moved there um, to live. And when he left, he told his little brother to keep asking me, which was <laughs> flipping annoying. So I just actually gave him one day and I said to his little brother, he goes, oh, hey, man, you need to come to church. I was like, all right, I'll come. I'll come check it out. And, um, and I'll tell you this, though, Shane, like, Stepping into the church, yeah, it was weird as, uh, whatever. But it, it wasn't actually like the message or anything that the the preacher up there on my friend was saying. Um, it was the community. Mm. It was the people. It was the people. That's what kept me around. It was the people. And they took me and they didn't see, like, man, me walking into, it w- would have been a shock for them. Like, look at this guy. But um, they, they just accepted me for who I was. Um, and I just got around the, the young people, the youth. And um, yeah, man, and just just hung around, and as I hung around, I just and I just fell in love with the place, and and um, it really kind of just built some core convictions in me, and and a lot of what I do now is is based from that decision, and and, and where I am today, and a lot of my friends, and uh, for me, actually being here is because of the church, because of Justin mm. um, coming here, and just used to brag on about. Uh, CrossFit, man, you need to come, you need to come. And I'll pop in a few times. I'm sure you remember, he'll, he'll yeah. pay for me. And, um, and, you know, other people like Zach coming along. Um, that community, you know, infused with this community, it's just, um, you know, just hanging around. That's yeah. it, just hanging around. Now, I want to I quickly, I know there are people listening to you that have probably experienced similar things in life to, to you, right? They might be listening to this podcast by chance, uh, maybe by someone telling them to, oh, he should listen to this podcast, guy on there. The hardest part of what I heard you just say, and in my opinion, it might not have been the hardest part, but what I would perceive as the hardest part about, you know, you going from street racing to listening to people talk in church is simply that how did you manage to change the people you were running with to hang out with our community? Because what I generally know about people is that, if you don't act a specific way, so the people you or your mates are hanging out with, right, they will do things, say things. Oh, no, what are you going to church for? It's a waste of time, uh, you know, or like, oh, you know, or even call you names, make you feel bad about it to change your ways, right? Because that's an easier way to control a person by making fun of them. And if they were making fun of you or even if they weren't, even if they're ignoring you, that's going to send a message to you to come back. At what point did you go, you know what, no, these guys are great. You probably still love them. You probably still care for them. But at what point did you just go, you know what, this is not the community I need to be hanging around. You know, How was that transition? What did you do? Because there are people listening who need to know how to because they might on Saturday and Sunday hang out, get in a lot of trouble, and then on the, during the week know that they need to change. Come around Friday again, they're out there tagging walls, racing cars, causing trouble. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Look, I had uh, many friends, um, you know, there's many times where – like I'll go to church and the boys would wait in the car 
It was legit like that. Oh, wow. Um, and then I'll finish and i come out and then we'll go. But um, I think the biggest thing was um, over time, the boys actually respected my decision. Um, and that that's quality friendship right there. 100%. When they respect your decision. So anytime, like even if they, you know, go out to the clubs or whatnot and, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll drive or whatnot and then I'll cruise the streets and come back and pick them up or whatnot and all that. But I think um, just being genuine and being real, like, I'll, like um, man, I, I legit I can't stand weirdo people that go to church. You know, I'm I'm as real as it gets. Like Justin is is, is weird. Oh, he is weird, but um, <laughs> but he's real as it gets. Zach is real as it gets, and we're just everyday people. But obviously, we go to church, but you know, um, we never want to judge people, or we never want to um look at people differently, and we expect you know obviously people to look at us um like you know would, would people even even know that I go to church, and you know, I'm full of tattoos and whatnot. You're full of tattoos. Yep. But um, I think it's just it's it's about being genuine and it's just about being real, you know. And it's just about just loving people, just like you said. Mm. Um, regardless, um, there's there's definitely some friends that were going in the wrong direction and making that decision. Oh, okay, you know that's it for for that friendship. It's not going anywhere. You always want to be around people who are who are, you know, a launch pad into your future rather than people that are holding you back. But I think um, as you're genuine and as you're um, real, people just gravitate towards that, and they'll hang around with you no matter what your beliefs are or, or what your goals are. Yeah, you, that's exactly right. If you don't have someone that's genuine in your life, it's easy to see because they criticise you far more than they probably should, you know. Or oh, why are you wearing that? That's something that's strange. Or no, why'd you get that tattoo? Or why do you even have tattoos? Yeah. You know, why are you, why are you going to the gym? You know, people people do this to me all the time. Like people don't understand. Like, wh- why is fitness so important for you? Why are you eating that? Mm. Uh, why do you do CrossFit? Yeah, and so same same sort of thing. But if they're genuine, they accept you for who you are, and that's the powerful part. That's that's it. That's it right there. Man, no, that's cool. So yeah, because I, I always go, you know, it's easy, and and well, we kind of know what the right decision is. I think on on most levels, and yet making that decision is always the, the execution is always the most difficult part. And I would hate for someone to know, like you did, that they don't need to be in this environment because if they are, they're only headed to one area and that's a pretty depressing state of life. And then I think at some point those guys who head down that path just commit 100% to the life of bad. And then, then oh man, then it's tough. And it's tough to get to them. Um, but yeah, I wanted to know how you got from that side of the track to not the, you know, I don't want to judge, but to a better side of the track, um, it seems because, you know, you're, you're causing less stress for other people, you're hurting less people. I think that's a good way of deciding whether or not a side of the track is bad or good. <laughs> if you hurt people, that's bad, right? Um, and now you're good, creating good, you're doing good. So what do you do in the church though? Just, you know, just run me down, not to spend an hour on it, but let's just go through what you do there. Yeah, so uh, I'm a, like um, a pastor for an age group. So I look after all our, um, our kind of, Adults, which is the 25 to 35-year-olds. See, I'm a little bit outside that age bracket, but that's all right. I still look like I'm... Told you, you look 20. 21 or something, so it's all good. Um, so, yeah, I just kind of help pass those people. I look older than you. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, mate, you still look good. Got bigger <laughs> muscles than me. Yeah, If people can see that you don't have a shirt on, then... But, um, no, so, yeah, I just look after those people, and we just create smaller communities, what we call connect groups and whatnot, hang out, um, and just... Again, something that you know really well. We just create community. That's what we want to do. Just create a uh, community for, for that age group. All right. And uh, how, how long have you been doing that for, Q? 
Um, so I, I've jumped into that age group since I, so I did youth uh, for about five years, and I was looking after high school students, and we're running programs on a Friday night for like up to three hundred kids. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'll I'll have I was responsible for a group of thirty kids, like um, uh, just on a weekly basis, uh, what we call RDGs, which is like small groups. So we'll just go eat KFC, <laughs> hang out, talk about life. We did, I did that as a as a fifteen on a in between maybe ten and fifteen. It was the best thing. We did a Macca's crawl, like it was a church oriented thing. You'd go there, you'd hang out, you would literally just like play a bull rush for an hour. You would go to a cool uh, treasure hunt or you know uh, a cool little what they called. Um, you have a list and uh, you got to do things off the list. Was that like Amazing Race or something? Yeah, similar. But anyway, uh, it was uh, there's uh, there's a name for it. Anyway. Really cool. And then we'd all go like to Maccas or we'd do like a Maccas crawl. We'd go from Maccas to Maccas and everyone could eat the most. And then all of a sudden, you know, you'd be back at the church, you'd do an hour's worth of Bible studies and then, you, then you'd just go home. You'd have some food and you'd go home. And, and coming from the, the life that I was sort of living, the appeal of a good dinner and some cordial, it got me there. And <laughs> man, the, and like you said, yeah. community. And, and there, was a, there was a strong community there. And those youth leaders that, uh, that had an influence at that period of my life got me through some, some hard Friday nights, you know, like my alternative was to stay at home um, and be ignored by my family. Um, you know, I'm sure my mum and dad didn't think they were ignoring me, but you know, they had their Friday night rituals uh, that probably didn't really involve anything I could do unless I wanted to do heroin. But at the same time, it was, it was what it was. And, uh, and at the same time, you know, those, those guys connected me to a better environment, a better time, a better state of mind, you know? Yeah. And, do you do you have anything to say to people out there listening who you know who, who really are connecting with what you're saying? Do you have any advice? Anything you know? How do you, where do they go? Like if they want to be a part of this stuff, is there somewhere that you would refer them to? What would be your advice? Because I'm sure there's someone there going, uh, "That sounds awesome," but how do I get from where I am right now to there? Yeah, no, for sure. I think anyone who's kind of like looking at decisions whether they want to get into youth work um, or whether they're like you know looking down the the path of um, you know, faith or spirit, spirituality. I think it's just um, it's just taking that step. And I think if I can relate it to a story, um, when I signed up to CrossFit, the hardest part is the first step in the door. Mm. That was the hardest part. It was so scary for me to walk in here, um, especially, you know, when you walk in and you see everyone's rig, they're just like built and you see Shane walk out just flipping, bulging. <laughs> and it's like, oh, man. Except like, until he looks at my calves and then boom, he's like, ah, he is human. But the first thought that runs through your head, or that ran through my head, anywhere that you go that's new is, do I belong here? Mm. Like, can I find my place here? And um, can I tell you that I have, I've found my place here, Shane, you know that. Like, I love it here. And that's the, that's the same step with anywhere you go, any decision you make, whether you, you know, get into youth work or, or whether you step foot in a church for the first time or whatnot. Um, but, yes, don't go to a boring church and whatnot. But, um it, it, there's that question is always going to ask. Uh, you're always going to ask yourself, do you know, do I belong here? It's always the hardest step, that first step. So my encouragement to anyone out there is just to take a first step, just to take that step of faith into anything that you're you're believing for or that you're working towards. Just take that step, and who knows where that step will take you. Yeah, good advice, Q. I think spoken like a champion, someone who's experienced it, someone who's done it himself, and just putting yourself out there in that new world is going to create new connection. Mm. You know, and from that new connection, so many things are possible. 
It's not, uh, so, so what you think, like what you thought you were getting, you were coming here for fitness, right? And you've got friendships, you've got lifelong friendships, you've got a whole community, you've got myself, you've got all the 100%. coaches who will, will rally around you. If you have a problem, guess what? You have two communities to go to. You have your Ooh. fitness community and you have your spiritual community. Boom. You have a lot of support, you know, and we, and we, well, we're going through some tough times with the gym, you know, the COVID-19 stuff, you know, where we are down and out, we are locked down, we can't operate, we are, we were on our way out. When that news come to me of that, uh, my first thought was, what are the people going to do? Like, I, I didn't care about anything else. My first thought was, what of all the people that, that I'm training, what are, like, where are they going to go? Like, they're going to disconnect. Mm. I mean, yeah, for a little, they might meet up and catch up, but this gym connects, unites. Yeah. And that community unites people in it and it brings joy. And this is stopping that. Mm. This this virus is stopping that, and sure as shit, so many of the members stepped up. You know they can't afford it either. Like they're going through hard times, and I sit at home at night and I'm sad, and I'm like, you know what, I I, I want to do, but I can't yet. I can't help you. I can't give back. I I gave for ten years, and now I can't give anything because I'm my hands are tied. Mm. And I went and I put it out there to the community, and I need help. And, and sure enough, everyone has uh, just risen to the top. And I, you know, I, I take this platform to say thank you to you because you're one of those guys. Uh, thank you so much for your support, Q. Like it means a lot. And um, yeah, and, and our community, as soon as we can get back on our feet, as soon as we can serve again, we'll be there for anybody else as well. No, that's right, man. And I think that's a testament to to you, man. Like right, we're here for you. Right? The whole CrossFit community are here for you. Uh, you know, we're, like I said, there's people that were in my tough season, there's people that have been with you in your tough season, and there's people that are with you right now that are walking this journey with you. And what I want to say to you too, man, I've got a picture of um, this is who you are, bro. This, you you know, like I feel like there's big wars and you're the person who's down the bottom and anyone that comes to this war, you're the guy who's giving them a little boost over the war. Yeah. That's, how, that's who you are, man. You love people and you, you want to help people reach their goals or get over the war. Where you're, you're constantly, you're always at the bottom. It's just like, boom, next person comes, boom, you're helping them over a wall. It's the pay it forward it, thing, right? That's right. But in this season, I feel like you need to let some people boost you over the wall, mm. if that makes sense. I that's mean, my yeah. encouragement to you, man. I mean, it makes sense. It's, it's something that, you know, that is not a natural thing for me to do. So it does, it's going to take learning. But, uh, you know, when your hands are tied, it's the quickest way to learn. <laughs> Hundred percent. I want to. I want to stop asking. I want to. You know. I want to. I want to support. I want to give back. But like I said, until my hands are untied and freed, literally, because then we can open. I can't do much. Um. So I'm just. I'm just so thankful. So yeah, really appreciate it, man. Um. I did want to touch on as well with you because I do find what people do daily so interesting. You know, I have a certain routine, a ritual that I live by. You know, it involves an early morning start. It goes through some coffee, some videos, some clientele, some work. I do some research, some reading, boom, boom, boom. Do my lunch, have a little nap. If Quinn goes to sleep, I'll sleep down. I'll have a 20-minute nap. If she goes down, she doesn't, hard a day. But anyway, I want to go through your routines, man. What is it that you do on a daily basis? Show me a typical day of Q. Yep, typical day, man, as I'll get up. And um, would work out. Well, obviously that's changed now. But no, he can zoom in, but he chooses not to. He can zoom in six a.m. Buddy, come on. Yeah, I'm there. That's it. But the only <laughs> place I can work out is outside at the moment. No, you it's wake those dark. kids up and you get them out there. You wake your wife up at six and a half. <laughs> well, well, oh, well, I can give it a try anyway. <laughs> but um, no, usually what a typical day would look like is I wake up and I at, work out of pandemic, normal pandemic nature. Out of normal, a month ago, what did it look like? Yeah, I wake up and um, I work out. Then I'll go home um, and have a coffee and have breakfast. And I usually have, so I have a big breakfast. I don't know if that's a good thing or whatnot, but I'll always I have eggs every morning. 
um, one toast, sometimes two, <laughs> depending on how you know carby I'm feeling. If we were interviewing Zach right now, which is one of your friends, he'd be saying Cocoa Pops. Yeah, that's right. He'll <laughs> Cocoa Pops, peanut butter. <laughs> the arse knows what's in there. Um, some spinach, and then I'll have like a little devotion, and then I'll um, have another coffee. So I think I'll have about three coffees in a day um, before 12, and none after 12. None. Um, Otherwise you won't sleep. Yeah, and then I'll go off to a school. If I'm at school or in the office, I'll go off and, and, and do my work for the day. And then when I come home, it's um, family time. So I'll try and um, get off my phone and just hang with the kids for a bit and the wife, see how everyone's doing, have dinner. And then I'll go and do some of my um, uh, pastoral stuff. So sending encouraged messaging uh, messages to some of our team, some of our crew, uh, just checking up on whatnot. And then, um, and then after that, it's usually just chill. I'm not a TV watcher, so I don't usually watch TV. Mm-hmm. Hardly ever watch TV. Well, I might play a few games now and then on the PlayStation, uh, depending on who's online. Um, but that's just a typical day, man. It's just um, fitness, eating, eat some more, family, coffee, eat, take a dump, <laughs> and then go to sleep, man. Very regular. I mean, so what you're eating is yeah. good. So, so not, nothing uh, spectacular. I wish I could tell you I'm jumping out of planes and whatnot, but... No, nah, I mean, that's the reality of the world. Everyone was on Instagram these days and all these people are taking private jets and, and holidaying and we get depressed when we look at that stuff. There's no real people in... That's a real-life response. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's how life is. For sure. Now, if you were to... So, one thing I like to ask as well as the routines is, is there a book or is there something you've seen or read or watched recently that has just truly inspired you? Maybe it could be a little paragraph. Maybe it was a quote. Maybe it was a little meme. Who knows? Um, hit me up with something like that because I, I, I love asking that question because I want to know where your attention goes, you know, because you'll see what you're, what you're looking for. Yeah, that's right. Um, man, I, I find so many things that inspire me, eh, to be honest. Um, I do read books. Um, obviously, there's the Bible, but outside of that, I do read books. Um, but one thing that's really inspired me um, is is just um, the um, lately uh, one of my cousins who's been um, posting on Facebook Live. Um, so what's happened is he um, a couple of couple of weeks back he he lost his wife mm-hmm. um, to cancer. Um, but what's inspiring to me is the way he's um, responded to that, mm. and just how he's full of life and just full of um, uh, again just giving back and. Just wanting to encourage people to keep moving forward. Um, Might have to get him on the podcast <laughs> next. I mean, far out. Yeah. What a, but what uh, out of a place where, you know, he should be, you know, devastated. Uh, you know, I would be if I lost my wife. But he's just um, decided, you know what, like, um, this is what she would want me to do. And he's just out there inspiring people. And it's inspiring me to see that, um, that okay, man, you know, life is, um, life is precious. Like, let's live it. Let's live life, you know. Um, don't take every, um, you know, every a day for granted. Like, you know, every, every second here on earth is, is precious. Let's make the most of it. I and mean, that's timely advice in the environment we're living in at the moment, where we're going oh. through something so unprecedented. Like, yeah, that's solid advice, bud. Thanks so much for sharing. And I, I also would like to ask you one other thing: What do you do to lay your hair down? What is it that Q does to kick back that doesn't involve the things we've spoke about? I mean, obviously, family. We spoke about. We spoke about your kids. If you were to go. Here you go, Q. The world has stopped. 24 hours. Go. What are you going to do? All right. So uh, a couple I'd of things. I'd probably just have a sleep, to be honest. Yeah. I'll, <laughs> uh, 
Well, um, once I'm up, I can't sleep. I'm not one of those day sleepers eh, that, that can nap. But there's a few things that I love. And if you ask, like, if people ask, um, you know, what do you know about Q, they'll usually say this. Now, number one is I love music. I love music. So any genre, like, I don't care. Do you so play? Yeah, I play the guitar. Yep. But um, you probably hear me in the um, in the gym. Like, no matter what Shane is playing, whether it's, you know, Foo Fighters or Rage Against the Machine or um, the game, 50 Cent, um, I'll sing it because mm. I know it. Mm. Like, I know opera, it doesn't matter. I love music just in general. So, you know, if one thing that I'm doing is I will definitely be listening to music. I'll have headphones on. I'll be listening to music. Um, the other thing is um, uh, I do have a hobby or I, I love cars. So um, I still got a, a little nick for cars even though um, I had to sell them all when we moved to Australia. But, um, yeah, cars, rotaries in particular. <laughs> so you'd be listening to music and just driving or fixing? What do you what, what do you prefer better? Driving. No one uh, likes um, projects sitting uh, in their garage for oh. five thousand years. Well, you would think they do with the amount of time they spend in the bloody garage on blocks. Jesus, tell me about it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everyone that likes cars has one in their garage that does nothing for a decade. Yeah, but they always say, no, no, this week or this month, <laughs> this year. Or if they get on the road, it's a week, not even, it's a it's a day and it's back in the garage. It's like something blew up on it. Oh, sweet. That is, uh, that's so. right. That's exactly right. How would you end the day? So you did that during the day or how would you end your night? How, how would you rest your head? Uh, how would I rest my head? It was probably just, um, to be honest, what I've been doing lately is um, just have a little scroll through um, social media. I know that's probably not ideal. Um <laughs> But then I just like to chill. And usually before I go to sleep, I'm just lying down and letting my mind just uh, uh, debrief, so to speak. So what does the future hold for Q? Where are you off to, buddy, in your mind? What's the, uh, what's Queensland? the big order? No, shut up. You can't uh, say that. That's illegal. That's actually... Did you hear the government said anyone named Q cannot leave <laughs> the state? Uh, look, um, uh, I think the future for me is... Um, look, I, I know what I want to be doing. There's many things I can do that pay a lot more than what I do at the moment. But um, look, I have a heart for young people, eh? and I really want to see young people succeed, mm. especially those who are doing it tough. Um, that's where my heart is. And, and if you're doing something that you love, and even if it doesn't necessarily pay well, but you're doing something that you love, then you, you, know, you hear it all the time, it's, you're not going to work. Mm. Um, so for me, it's, still, um, it's always going to be to do with well-being or helping someone or lifting someone up or, or telling someone that they're awesome. That's my life, Shane. That's that's all there is to it. Well, that means you can't leave New South Wales because there's <laughs> many people you still have yet to help, okay? Until you completely clock this state and fix everyone and help them all, not allowed to leave them. So that's the way it works. You're stuck here forever. But I heard Queensland leading all the help up there too. You know? Oh, they've got Justin and Mello I've heard up there. They're doing good things. Oh, yeah, they should be all right with We'll them. get them on the podcast one day. But um, yeah, friends of Q's who do very similar stuff around and help so many people. Um, but yeah, no, that sounds good, man. And um, yeah, we hope we don't we, we we hope we don't lose you. But we know that the world will pull you where it needs to pull you. And you know, we've had the the beauty of having your presence in our uh, in our gym, in our community, in our lives. And I'm sure somebody else out there probably will need that at some point, but just hopefully not anytime soon. Um, yeah, that would be disappointing for a lot of us. Now, before we finish up, bud, we got about a minute to go before I want to finish up, and I want to go over. I'm a gadget guy. Love gadgets. Love. Uh, Love things that improve my way of life. That's what, hmm. I, what I try and tell my wife when I want to buy things that don't actually improve my way of life. But um, what would be one gadget that you use every single day that just makes your life easy? And it can't be the phone because that's an easy answer. 
one gadget that I use every single day makes my life easy? Man, that's a tough question. Hey, I've got to finish on the hard questions. This is all like, I, all this I want to think about is my phone. This is better than exactly. This is better than sixty minutes. This stuff. One gadget, cheapest. It's like we've only got our phones. Yeah, I feel. I feel like that's the only gadget. All right, go, I'll go. I'll, I'll let. I'll let up. One app. What's one app you use every day that you need to use? And it can't be Facebook because I mean, God, or Instagram, or mm. any of the social media platforms. One app. Well, obviously, at the moment, Zoom is a big app, but um, <laughs> no, I actually, haven't seen you use that yet. I do like uh, my MyZone app. So if you don't know what MyZone is, it's that little thing that you wear around that um, clocks how how hard you're working, I guess, in the gym. Um, so um, I always look at that because I'll wear it. I, actually, that's a device. Look, I it wear is. it every day. Boom, see? Yeah, yeah. A gadget. So I wear that every day. I work out. Heart rate um, monitor, right? Six days a week. So yeah, heart rate monitor. That's what it's called. Yeah. Um, so I like to fill around on that app and just kind of work things and, and stats and whatnot. So um shows how hard i'm working and i can see how hard zach's working as well so he's usually not working too hard but um yeah so there we go that's awesome. my device and that's my app perfect so you knew all along it wasn't the phone <laughs> anyway but uh, that is uh, all the time we've got on this show today i want to thank you so much for coming out uh, it's late at night it's all we could do but uh yeah you know you're away from the family i know what, how important that is i know my wife and my little girl is probably at home wondering when's daddy gonna put me to bed um, that my wife and, <laughs> and my little girl, <laughs> but um, but I want to make sure that um, if you need to be reached, if people out there want to reach you, to how can they do that? What is uh, do you do you do that? Like, do you put yourself out there for people to chat to? Is that yeah, for sure. If you want to uh, get in contact with me, obviously you can follow me on Facebook or Insta and just send me a, a slide into my DMs. <laughs> um, not with those. Don't slide in with those messages. <laughs> Yeah, you can just hit me up in my DM if you got any questions or whatnot, um, or if you need, uh, you know, a, a advice. Maybe if if you've got kids who who are kind of like off track at the moment and you just want some tips or whatnot, please like hit me up. I'm, you know, I love to give some strategies or, or chat to young people. That's what I do. Uh, I've been doing it for so long. As um, so, yeah, just catch me on Facebook. Q's on. I'm sure if you type it in, there won't be any too many people with that name. Q U Z O N. Q U Z O N. That's yeah. right. Yeah, because you don't want to get that wrong. Now, yeah, thanks so much, Q. So if you need to hit, hit him up, guys, make sure you do. Follow him on Facebook. There's always some awesome uh, TikToks he's doing with his little girls. <laughs> his little girl. And I only did uh, one, bro. Come on. <laughs> it, was, it was amazing. It was one that just I will never forget. And, uh, yeah, guys, thanks so much, Q. I appreciate you taking thanks, the time. If you, uh, if you have any other things that you want to speak about, um, let me know and we'll get you back on for, for – for round two if you guys enjoyed this podcast and you want to hear more from q you let me know and i'm going to get him back on but also don't forget subscribe like to all of our social medias i'm not that um into it yet but i'm sure there's a way for you to do that you can follow us on most of the big uh platforms that have podcasts anyway guys until next time i'm not going to bore you with all that stuff because you'll either do it or you won't no point in me begging but give it a go and i will see you on the next episode take Peace. it easy have a Thanks, good one Shane. q thanks bud